Uh, welcome to She Talk Sports with the Dovers, the podcast bringing you the best stories, insights, and conversations around women in sport, featuring players, officials, administrators, and more. Today's sponsor is Indigenous Basketball Australia. You can find full information through the link provided below. IBA is a non-for-profit entity that will deliver programs to grassroots levels for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people so they have better chance to advance in the sport and, more importantly, succeed in life. I'm Cassie. And I'm Jackie. And today we're joined by New Zealand hockey player and Indigenous Basketball Australia COO, Mel Cooper. Mel, thank you for joining us today. How are you going? Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be able to talk to you both. Um, yeah, I've obviously met the two of you and seen the progress that you're making in sport. So it's nice for me to be able to have you on to you and share a little bit about my background and where things are heading for the future as well. Well, Mel, only meeting you a week ago in person, but um, hearing your success with 2012 London Olympics and most recently being appointed the COO of IBA, I knew I wanted to get you on um, as a guest for our podcast having success on the hockey field and now an administrator within the sport. So that was pretty important to get you here with us today. Um, can you tell us what you're up to now with your new role at IBA? Yeah, sure. So I've just started recently with IBA um, and the role of COO is really to operationalize the strategic plan um, and the vision of Patty and what he's created with IBA. It's a real privilege to be in the role. It's a huge responsibility because I know that this is um, his passion project and it's wholeheartedly supported by the family with Alyssa, um, Benny and Yvonne. So where it started and where it's about to head, it's a really cool time to be able to join IBA, um, especially with 2032 Olympics in Brisbane in sight. I know that that's going to be a huge part of what we do from here on in uh, with the pathway, not only for players, referees, coaches, um, but administrators off the court. So for me, being able to join IBA with my own personal values and my cultural heritage and being able to assist society in this capacity is really exciting. Um, there's, a, there's some bold um, ambitions that we'll definitely be looking to fold into the plans moving forward. Board, but excited to be able to announce that we're adding another age group next year, um, third year that IBA has been around um, and having the under 17s and next year we'll just double in capacity of what we've already started and um, what you've been involved with and seen. So I think to be able to continue show that growth and then um, have the foresight of a clear goal and what success looks like for IBA is exciting for, for me to be part of. So yeah, it's a really nice time to join. Yeah, that's super exciting. No doubt we'll see a lot of the athletes at both of those nationals in the 2032 Olympics in some capacity as well. So that's really exciting. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Cassie has a very important question, actually, Mel, before we jump into some more oh. business. <laughs> well, um, <clears throat> the bun rating is a situation that we're going to have to follow through. I'm not going to manipulate any outcome, but can you give, uh, and you're wearing a bun, so you may jump in as well. Everyone mm -hmm. just show your buns a little bit there. Cool. There can we rate them one, two, and three, one being the winner? Mel? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. I feel like I'm getting lazy <laughs> through the actual screen here. <laughs> but 
Okay, well, um, with the showing there and the modeling, Cass, I think you might get the one today and it's a bit closer to mine. Um, <laughs> and yes. Two, and I'll go three because uh, it would be inappropriate if I put myself up the front. So I don't think it would be, Mel. Oh, that's <laughs> not how I roll. That's <laughs> how Cassie rolls, Mel. So yeah. Yeah. It, it would be. I'm very competitive. It's a, it's a really good job. <laughs> a really good benefit I'll be doing the edit and adding in the prior to starting the podcast as to how that <laughs> thing came about everybody so just we'll edit that in here Mel I'll give you 20 bucks if you rate me first that's all I'm saying <laughs> there was no agreement made so it didn't actually happen uh, <laughs> yeah that's right Mel. welcome yes, to yeah. my childhood I understand the pressure you just went through so uh, no hard feelings here at all all right so before we jump into your sporting career off the field we want to kind of touch on your journey as a hockey player and what it was like to represent your country at the olympics oh yeah that's like one of the most um i guess memorable experiences of my life to be able to compete at the 2012 london olympics that you touched on earlier uh i was really lucky i when, well, lucky is probably not the right term, but I um, debuted for New Zealand at 17 years of age. So I was quite young. Uh, at that time, there weren't that many that had debuted at such a young age for the New Zealand women's hockey team. But when I referenced the term lucky, I, I grew up in Palmerston North. There were about five of us that went to the same school and we all went to the Olympics. It was a public school. We had this unique cluster. They're all my sisters now. Um, you know, we keep in contact regularly I'm looking forward to seeing them over the the holiday break but having that unique support system we all pushed one another and you know one of them um one of my closest friends she went to four olympics and so you know I was, I was grateful to go to one um I missed out on two others but I think just when you've got such a strong support network around you to be able to push you and we were always like pushing one another to be better uh that was probably the most grateful component I think with my sporting um upbringing to be in that cohort and I look back on that and I think you don't see that too often these days. It's like one athlete just popping out of small regions because New Zealand is renowned for batting above our average for the size of the country and um, competing at the Olympics. But I also had a very um, strong mentor and also some uh, players that were ahead of me that transferred their knowledge to help us come through the New Zealand system and Skippy Hamahona was one and she was like be proud of who you are know your heritage um you you're doing it for our people and so I think being told that when I was 17 and my very before my very first game I think I remember I remember that quite vividly but it didn't really land until later if that makes sense so I'm a proud Māori woman um I'm also Cook Island Māori as well so my nanny, she moved um, at a young age to New Zealand, so from Manahiki Island. And so heritage has always been a strong and prominent part of my upbringing and being able to compete at the Māori tournament as well. So I think having that instilled, knowing um, the importance of cultural heritage when you do represent your country, I, I feel like that's something that I can impart on now with um, my kids and also in the sporting um, sphere but yeah sport just taught me so much in terms of life skills I've been able to transfer a lot of that into the work that I've done and 
Olympics, the London Olympics, when people asked, we came fourth. So I was like that close to getting a medal. We, um, at the semifinals, we went to extra time. We went to one-on-one. So you couldn't get much closer than that. Yeah. And that was, that was the best performance the New Zealand women's team has ever had at the Olympics. So I was very proud to be part of that. We ended up um, having the world ranking of three. And so I look back on that as being one of the most memorable times in terms of my sport to be able to share that with some close friends as well. So, yeah, that's kind of a very brief snapshot of my New Zealand hockey um, performance. But then I took that into coaching. So I went into coaching straight after the London Olympics and started a family Um, and I really enjoy coaching it's something that is quite strongly ingrained in in myself to be able to share help others um, fulfill their potential on the field as well so I went into men's coaching to start off with so I was the only female coach that coached in the Australian men's hockey league Um, so I was co-head coach for about four years and I really enjoyed that it certainly challenged me it wasn't the easiest being a female coach coaching against men in fact I had one team that wouldn't shake my hand once and so I chased him down I was like thanks for the game and I bought him and made sure he shook my hand um and I think it was a bit of a cultural thing too um because we were playing against some international teams that year but still I wasn't going to let him get away with it uh but yeah I played men's hockey here in Adelaide to try and keep my level of fitness up and challenge myself individually. So I think that helped with transitioning into men's coaching because I played with a number of the the guys and then next minute I, I was coaching them. So they, um, they accepted me as a coach and certainly supported me um, when I was doing that. And then I transferred to the women's side um, and then coached the hockey one and also in the AHL there. And it's more a time, time issue now. I try and squeeze too much into the diary that I don't have a lot of time for coaching, but I do a bit more for Hockey Australia with technical camps in the South Australian Sports Institute as a specialist coach. So I do those because they're kind of small, high impact, um, one-on-one, um, technical based, uh, which is a way that it, I can still fulfill the coaching, coaching desires. Um, and yeah, so that's been probably the the main part that I've done out of playing. I still try and potter around in Div 2 to help some of the young kids, but the, the body's not moving as fast as the brain. So that can be a bit frustrating at times. Um, but yeah, uh, sport I love and I enjoy having the family around it. So yeah, try and feel too much of the day with sport, but that's what I what I love. No such thing, I reckon. Too much sport? <laughs> no, not in this not house at all. <laughs> yeah, not in the <laughs> industry. <laughs> do um do your kids play hockey? Ah, uh, no, not yet. So, um, my eldest Harvey, he's turning nine next month. He plays basketball, cricket, does swimming, and my youngest is probably my only chance of of hockey. Uh, but I think anything that where she can hit something, she's probably going to take up. She's our firecracker, Leilani. Uh, so, yeah, she's into little athletics and swimming. And uh, she has said that she wants to try and play hockey. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, nice. I don't, yeah like my husband played in the NBL. So we, we try not to push them in a certain direction. I think it's important for them to try lots of different sport now 
And then if they follow our pathway, that's great. But yeah, for now, it's just a social aspect and try and encourage them. But we have basketball on the on the TV all the time. So my son's just, he's Mr. Stats, man. He knows all the plays. He knows all the players. Like, he just loves it. I might be biased, but that, I think that's a good choice. Can you just um, elaborate you know, obviously rugby union and sports like that in New Zealand are, are quite popular. What's the level of popularity of hockey in New Zealand? Yeah, well, I think the London Olympics was a turning point for our sport for hockey back home because um, we really did pro- raise the profile and we got a lot of community interest and backing. Like, for instance, they delayed the national news to play our game, which never happens sort of thing. So I think um, everyone was vouching for us to get a medal and we ended up uh, placing fourth with the Olympics after that. So there was a lot of traction. So netball has predominantly been uh, the main female sport back in New Zealand. Uh, Hockey has certainly been one that's uh, been profiled on sort of similar terms. All Blacks and Rugby Union is huge back home. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly learnt a lot from their like cultural philosophy. Um, been very fortunate to meet Gilbert Anoka, who has done a lot in the background and the cultural legacy of the All Blacks. So he's like a sports psychologist that's done a lot with the group. Um, and being able to actually hear from him and what they try and build out in terms of keeping everybody on track and the buy-in to where they're heading I think is quite phenomenal like there's there's a lot of businesses that take some key learnings from the All Blacks and how they've gone about their business. Yeah nice so um, transitioning from playing to retirement you touched a little bit on what you're doing now and what you have done post-retirement but how did you come to the decision of retirement and um, you know post-life you've done a lot as well uh, po- post-athlete life should I say not post-life you're still here functioning <laughs> quite well <laughs> um yeah like how did you decide you know when it was time to hang up the boots and yeah how was that process for you yeah I um I could have kept playing I felt like with international level um after London but I thought it was a good time for us to start a family My pathway whilst playing was probably, it wasn't the traditional way. Like I went through the New Zealand age groups, um, you know, debuted for New Zealand at 17 and and hockey was everything. When I missed out on Athens and I was non-travelling reserve, I think that actually sparked an element of do a bit more with your life outside of hockey. Um, So that's when I started to explore uh, media um, and I started working in that capacity and and I was studying as well so I went into the workforce um, still played and then I went back and trialed for Beijing um, missed out I was in the 22 for that but I was actually making huge progressions with my career um, and it made it into a leadership role over here in Australia so my heart wasn't quite in it because I was like, oh, I'm progressing really well. I'm actually making money because um, you weren't getting paid a lot when I was playing. So I was like, this is unusual. This is great. Um, so, yeah, progressed more on, with the career side of things. And then I was 
in a very stable relationship um, with huge support over here that it was a good time for me to have another go um, with London and I thought this was going to be my last chance to uh, put my hand up and yeah, ended up being selected and so yeah I lived away from home for six months and I thought after that having the sacrifice that my husband had made for me to play um, in the Olympics I thought that that was it, it was fulfilling I felt like I still could have done a little bit more and gone on to a com games but I, I thought it was the right time and being able to choose your own time as to when you finish sport I think is probably one of the most fulfilling and powerful um, areas because I've had close friends where they haven't been able to choose when they finish and that has caused um, a little bit of unrest I guess post uh, playing days so yeah we we made that decision to start a family and I, I don't regret it at all like I know that there could have been other options um, to go again but our kids are at a good age and we're at a good age that I'm not too old and I've been able to still go back to my job after London at that time so yeah I feel like the transition out of playing into work um, couldn't have been any smoother for me personally I was I was really grateful for that yeah so um I feel like I may have been able to do a bit more around that Beijing time but then I would have uh impacted my progression with my career off the field I think that decision to be able to yeah like you said make that decision yourself is you hear a lot of athletes talking about it and then how they kind of struggle with that transition into the workforce and that type of thing so having that there as an option as well for you must have been a like you said, quite fulfilling and that empowered bit behind it, which is cool. But uh, there's nothing worse than seeing an athlete not have the choice to uh, to finish and then they have to kind of go through that struggle as well. That's really hard. I, I feel for players where whether it's injury or deselection and it's not on their terms um, and having to you know, kind of process that, I think that, that you see it all the time, unfortunately. But, yeah, that, I was lucky um in my circumstance that that wasn't the case yeah definitely um I, you touched on it a little bit in terms of like the impact that your team had around that 2012 the with the olympics and uh the hockey in back home but can you kind of touch on the sporting space from a women's perspective in as a hockey player from when you did first start at 17 to where it's at now that's a really good question because when I started in 17, the New Zealand women's hockey team was starting to get a little bit more money and how it was sort of negotiated or how it was discussed. Um, I look back on my very first tour and we were all in a room um, and there was a large grant that was being passed on to the New Zealand women's um, players and it was an open discussion. And there were seven of us that actually debuted at that series. And some of the older players were like, well, it was us that got, got the money. So we should get a larger portion. And you have just started. And as a 17-year-old that hadn't found her voice in the group, I'm sitting there just going, I'll just go with whatever. Like, you know, I just was like, this is not my space to be able to put my hand up and say, can you give me X amount? Um, so it was a a definite learning curve for me around how money can change the dynamic of a group and how you um, discuss like how that money is going to be split and how it was going to be shared. So as the sport um, progressed, we did start to get more funding. Um, we were 
supported really well by some philanthropic um Sir Owen Glenn at the time when I was playing a huge supporter um and he helped us I guess off the field with a lot of the needs that the program required at that time with London so the I think with the change from 20 when I was 17 to where it is now the actual organisation has gone through some turbulent times, I think, as a result, as um, the change of landscape, um, women's sport, also the player voice and understanding the dynamic between players, organisation, as well as coach. So um, one of the coaches was more or less removed from the group who was my coach at 2012 and I thought he was one of the best coaches I had um, so there there has been a lot of um, turbulence over there but with women's sport as a whole I think that it's been able to profile because um, we're, we're like basketball women and men are quite um, you know codependent in terms of how both programs go and funding systems and things but the women were performing a lot better than the men at the time when I was playing so we actually generated more money for the program but the money was split 50 50 across both both genders and that's um, probably the opposite to what has happened in a lot of other sports where the men were driving a lot of the revenue and hopefully the women would get a fair share of that distribution uh, but yeah it was there wasn't any sort of resentment at the time it was just like we're here to actually improve the sport um, we're, we're a smaller code compared to some of the others um, but I think that as a result we've had some really strong female leaders that are doing some amazing stuff back in Aotearoa for players coming through for young Māori coming through and I, for me, I'm really proud to be part of that and see the work that they're doing back at home. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, the when you touch on uh, the the women doing better than the men, is that still the case now over there for for hockey, or are the men kind of caught up? Um, it's been uh, like both programs recently probably haven't performed to their levels that they should be at. So yes. the women have still had the slight edge on the men's program over a longer period of time. Uh, but yeah, I think the whole intent back there is to make sure that they're getting medals and we haven't got medals for, for a little while. So um, yeah, there's, there's a broader strategy to actually fix both and, and get them going. They're going to yeah. fly you back over for some coaching now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's going on over there that's for sure <laughs> um has anything for, have you seen any change in a, the administrating side of it and what do you think the biggest change um has been or could be like what do you feel could be better administrating as well yeah um back um in Aotearoa like the they've organized a women in sport um, which is a phenomenal uh, organization. I think that has grown the women's side um, in terms of, uh, I guess, gender equity and providing a bit more of a highlight on the benefits of having diversity with decision-making, with governance and being able to have a seat at the table with those core decisions and being able to bring some of our younger um, leaders through that has probably 
been the most powerful work that I've seen and led by one of um, like a leader back home, Sarah Lieberman, who actually helped with the, I don't know if you saw the International Women and Girls Conference just recently, but she helped organize that as well. Um, and I think the administration side of things, the core thing that needs to change is having more female leaders that are in the boardrooms and being able to make those decisions at the top and have their voice heard um, as opposed to being a bit more male dominated. I think that's probably the greatest change. And then you can have that ripple effect down the chain uh, to have a bit more focus on having females supported, whether it's in coaching capacity, whether it's in the referees um, to support female programs. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big one, just getting getting them in the rooms to be able to make those decisions. Um, we have a couple of other questions, but I just want to switch it up for a second, going from like the playing and the hockey space to what your role is now within the sporting industry. You worked within netball and now you're obviously on uh, the basketball side, which we're happy about to have you on board. Um, how's your kind of journey through that administration role and having you've obviously been able to transition to a pretty successful career but how are you finding that and how the the different sporting codes and the different roles that you're able to be a part of so far? I think um, working in different codes has been really useful for me to see the different perspectives and how different organisations run. Uh, there are so many core challenges that are the same, but everybody approaches it so differently. I think with netball, it's 95% dominated female. And so the minority are the males um, in that sport, which was quite different to what I've been used to with hockey and now in basketball. So to see the approach around how um, programming can look and what the pathway looks like for, for all that want to participate in, in netball was quite different. Uh, the I guess the main things that were... I would often grapple with was like the broadcast components and the marketing and the brand aspect and then being able to sort of balance out the grassroots and the high performance because often grassroots and high performance can be a bit conflicting so trying to actually bring that together with the core objectives I thought was also quite challenging at times um, more specifically in, in netball because grassroots participation is one of the larger revenue drivers but then high performance is much more ruthless and very quick like it just happens and moves very quickly in terms of decisions and what the expectations are um, moving into basketball it's been probably more on the player side of things because I've been working for the Australian Basketball Players Association as well whereas with the netball it was more the club um, lens so now being on the other side um which is probably more where I'm aligned as, um, you know, being more player, player focused, but it has helped me manage expectations at times to understand where the club's perspective might be or where the league's coming from to then find solutions. So the, the, um, the transition, I think, of being able to play coach and then working as high performance director in smaller capacities with hockey as well, it's just it's so many different layers and so many different perspectives has certainly helped me with where I'm at now and like the decision making process to look at all angles, not just through a player's lens, like what are the ramifications of that decision or can we approach that slightly different? Um, so, yeah, that they're probably the key areas I feel that have helped get me to where I am is having different perspectives um, to be able to inform me with better decision-making. 
yeah, it's a very wide range of uh, skill sets that you've developed from the sides of it. That, that's awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> um, so we'll jump into some role model type questions in terms of like your career, both as a player and now in that administration uh, space. But have you had any key uh, role models that are female and how important they, and if they were important into your kind of progression through the playing field and now your job post playing? Um, how's that kind of had an impact on you or is there anyone notable that you kind of come to mind with? Yeah, sure. Like I had um, some clear players that I admired as a player. So Luciana Amar, um, she's one of the world-class players for Argentina. Um, she was phenomenal. She was always winning gold medals and just an amazing just a wizard with the stick but I so that was more of like on field performance I loved the way she played and the way um, she definitely would uplift the players around her within my own team uh, and a close friend of mine she was a role model without realizing um, she went on to play for four Olympics and yeah I feel like her leadership and how we were able to sort of work together and support one another and still challenge one another now like with her business aspirations and what I'm currently doing we always share what we're what we're doing and I most people would say that's a friendship but I think um, the way that she's been able to be successful off the field to me has been a role model if that makes sense to be able to um, lean on and, and share um, information and kind of still push one another which has been pretty special uh in the business environment there have been uh the the work role models i've actually found it was a bit challenging um when i was working in media they were all male at the time when i was working um so that was a bit more i guess difficult to um I guess, lean on some female leaders that were within the organization because I was the agency sales manager at the time. But yeah, our GM was a was a male and it wasn't very common to have a lot of um, female leaders, um, leaders when I was coming through. So when I was in media, that was a little bit more, more difficult. Um, I mainly had male mentors, to be honest. Yeah, and one was my dad. My dad was the general manager of radio stations and I said I would never work in media and radio because I saw how hard he worked. <laughs> and then next minute I was there working for 14 years. So, right. um, so you, yeah. you do still have hope for your kids to follow you for hockey then. <laughs> yeah, <Hey>? exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've, been, I've crossed paths with a lot of great administrators who I lean on for specific areas now. So my network's a lot broader, um, which is cool. We do like to touch also on the male, you know, influences and who empower women. So maybe was there anyone um, within that media segment of your life? Um, was there someone there that did empower you though and, and supported you as a woman in what you did? Um, yeah, my, um, as I mentioned, my dad was probably the main one uh, because we actually worked for the opposition. So I was working with him to start off with and then jumped into a, a different network because I thought I didn't want to be in his shadow. I wanted to be able to create my own name and uh, work for an organization where I can actually climb the ladder standalone. And so I think initially it was like, what are you doing? 
I'm <laughs> going to the opposition, but he he certainly supported me uh, the most with that. And then throughout um, that sort of experience, it was more I had a cohort again that we had a strong friendship base that were all moving through the ranks at the same sort of time. So there was four of us um, that were all sort of sharing goals and quite selfless in terms of what our aspirations were that we pushed one another to um, keep inspiring and, and getting to where we need to. And we've all branched off into different spheres as well, which is cool. Yeah, awesome. What about when you were playing? Did you have any any male, um, you know, uh, support or coaches that empowered? Obviously, you know, sports quite predominantly men, you know, especially back... Yeah in the day so was there anyone in that um area of your life yeah there was it was actually my London coach Mark Hager so he's an Australian he was one of the highest um goal scorers for the Kookaburras he's now actually moved here to Adelaide so um we we catch up quite regularly uh he's always been there for me and likewise for him when he's had some challenging times too as a coach and I always used to just find I could have that open dialogue or I could call him out when I thought he was being a peanut and we would just you know, have that sort of um, laugh about it. Because um, one thing I just always used to find quite hard for coaches is that deselection conversation leading into an Olympics, having that conversation to tell an athlete who's committed years of their life, I'm sorry, you're not going to make the 16. Yeah. And I remember quite vividly for the London, we had like our last sort of selection competition. We were in Korea and he was so stressed. Like all the assistant coaches were so stressed because it was getting to that real critical time to name and select the 16. So I went and glad wrapped his toilet and then I stole his bag and I was like, just loosen up. Like, I know this is really stressful. And it was only because he wiped his nose and he threw like a piece of toilet paper that the toilet paper sat like on the actual glad wrap that had uh, caught him out. I was like, damn it. <laughs> I always <laughs> had to that. Like, I, yeah, I was that that player. I just wanted to sort of break the ice a little bit, just know that there's more to life. Um, and, yeah, he was one that certainly has taught me a lot about myself as well. Yeah, that, those conversations... I don't, I mean, I've never been at that level that you're at, but as a coach, that conversation, whether you're in an under 12 team or all the way up to, you know, NBL one where I'm, it's never an easy conversation because at that level, that's where they're at. Right. And it yeah. almost like you're stepping on their, um, their dreams, you know, putting a stop to it. Obviously um, some of them you try and, keep them motivated to keep working but yeah that's that's a tough one I think it's also tough Cassie for you to have a serious conversation not just joking around with people so yeah. that, I'm assuming that's part of the challenge I'll, I'll keep the um the cling wrap toilet I'm about to visit Jack so I'll make sure I do something to her toilet that's a good idea <laughs> you're here for three weeks so it'll, it'll be a long <laughs> yeah uh, all right, Mel. So um, we like to finish off with some kind of main advice from you to to the future generations coming through. And obviously, you've touched on a lot of sporting codes, administration lines, but also hockey players. Is there any kind of general advice that kind of covers all the areas that you've touched as part of your journey so far that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, 
yeah, I think my reflections is uh, for my own journey is if I was able to sort of narrow down what my core values were really early, I think that would actually make it a lot easier to um, harness and provide a lot more clarity of the direction that I wanted to go in a bit earlier. I guess the pathway has helped me get me where I have am now. But I think that if I um, was able to be quite clear and laser focused on who I was and what I stood for, which I think a lot of people um, find challenging to do anyway, and it's it's a constant, like it's a yearly thing. I always do it every year, um, set my goals, review my values, um, and they change. They've changed with life stages. But I think yeah as a player I was that focused on I was actually quite selfish because you're literally that focused on your goals uh sometimes I feel like I wasn't open enough around what else I could have done and been able to grow as a person a lot earlier whereas now I feel like um you know I'm a parent I, I work yes in in sport but first and foremost like family is the most important thing to me and I'm a wife um so that helps make a lot more clearer decisions when it comes to my time and being um, you know valuing the time and the decisions that I make around that so I think advice for um, people is yeah being clear on what matters most to you what your values are and what you stand for certainly helps like declutter some of the other distractions in life which can quite easily derail where you're wanting to head so yeah that's probably my main reflections I think on the journey that I've had so far yeah, it's very solid advice. I mean, we would all have benefited from that at a younger age, definitely. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's um, it's important in life, but as well, like I know, you know, you look back, hey, and you just go, man, if I if I knew that then, or if I listened to that person and actually took that in, rather than just going, yep, yep, and you look back and you, we're just so much wiser when we're older, aren't we? <laughs> oh, for sure. And that's actually a really good point. I used to find I would go through trainings and not understand the why enough. Like, how does that apply in the game? Uh, like certain drills and things like that. I, I think that was another key area of like my development in my game in particular was actually understanding why and the application of why we're doing what we're doing. I tried to do that in coaching to explain the why, but, you know, sometimes it's really hard to figure out how to articulate that to each individual. Yeah, yeah. It's not an easy gig, but it's definitely rewarding. For sure. But, no, I appreciate being able to catch up with the two of you and share my background and my journey and um, where I'm trying to head. So it's it's been quite a phenomenal period of time in my life. And, yeah, I know I'll cross paths with the two of you a lot. Yes, for sure, we will. Yeah. <laughs> We're excited to uh, to see the direction IBA continues to grow and develop in having you on board and we're obviously both heavily involved where we can be. Um, so it's exciting for us to, to see your appointment and to see it continue to grow and be a part of that. So, um, yeah, it's a very exciting times. <laughs> thank you. So we'll, we'll end it here. So, Mel, thank you so much for um, giving us the time to talk with you. And um, we. Um, think you've had a great journey and and we appreciate you discussing and sharing that with us and the listeners and uh, we can't can't wait to see how you go 
um, you know, in the future in, in IBA and whatever comes after that. Um, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in for the episode on She Talk Sports. A big thank you to Indigenous Basketball Australia for being our sponsor. You can check them out online, um, which our, the link will be provided below, and we will catch you all on our next episode. Thank you, Mel. Thank you. We'll see you around. See ya.